This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 61, recorded January the 18th, 2023. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me as always is our director of strategy, Julia Alexander. Julia, hello. Jason, hi. How are you? Doing pretty good. We, we took a little break. Three week, we're doing a little thing where we're sort of skipping an episode, so three weeks off, and then we'll do another three weeks off, and then we'll be back three weeks from now, sort of skipping one episode, but not. Anyway, how are you? I'm I'm good. I am. It's um, you know, it's cold in New York again. I I think we we got lucky last year with um the unfortunate reality that was global warming, and now we have the the reiterated reality of what winter on the East Coast is, is like. It is still winter. It's still winter, so I'm dealing with that. How are you though? How are they? Is it raining in your in your we've, neighborhood we've these days? We've had a lot of rain. We've had a lot of rain. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Which is fine because yeah. we it's California. You can never complain about the rain. We need the rain. We absolutely need the rain. Um, so this is going to be a special episode. We're going to do a sports corner episode, but it was going to be the all sports corner episode, and now it can't be because this just in breaking news. Breaking. I saw a picture of you wearing an Apple Vision Pro today. Yep. Yep. So uh, you have joined the ranks of the media people getting a preview of Mm -hmm. Apple's headset, which is going to ship in a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. How was it? I Well, Jason, you, I imagine because you are one of the most prolific Apple people, you've tried it, correct? Yeah, last June, yeah. Okay, so I did it today, um, had a very nice, like, 35-minute demo, um, and it was actually talking to a friend of mine, and he was kind of like, what's the deal? Should I buy this thing at launch? And I was like, hey, pros, cons. I actually listed them out. The pros, and I I wonder how you feel about this, Jason. I felt, um, this is going to sound really silly if if you're like me and you don't think about these things until very nice people at these companies or really smart people like Jason point them out, but um, the, the lighting... Like the way the reactive lighting and kind of the preemptive lighting of when you talk to somebody versus when you're in an app and how it kind of goes from really bright to really dark to kind of being neutral is something that I didn't think I was going to think about or notice, but it actually made the experience feel much more um, like I, like I wasn't wearing goggles on my face. Yeah, it was a very cool thing. Yeah. Uh, the they had I, I thought that the accuracy was like pinpoint. I thought the accuracy was great. Um, the UI, if you are if you're a user of Apple's products, including newer products where they've got like the double tap with your fingertips, um, it, it's very easy to navigate. Um, the spatial photos, videos, super cool. Mm-hmm. Like I thought those are really great. But the cons, and this is where I want to get your opinions, it's it's not that it's just heavy. Like I think all VR headsets are a little bit heavy. It pinches the back of your head a little bit. And I found that after uh, 35 minutes, I was, like, in pain. Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, I don't necessarily want to wear this for longer than 30 minutes. And so that, for me, brought into question all the cool things you would maybe want to do with the headset, like, um, like watch a movie like watch for a two movie. and a half hours. Yeah, right, so exactly. there are two different straps. There's this mm-hmm. really fancy, nice one that you can adjust on the fly that is all yeah. knit and goes behind your head. Uh, which I assume is what you used. That yes. is what I used in June, and I had that. I had a similar experience. My head hurt the whole time I used. It. Oh wow! And I, I'm willing to say, look, I didn't get a chance. They were moving us through there, but it, yeah, it was unpleasant. What I've heard though is the reason there are two straps in the box 
is that the other strap, which is not the super knit strap and is less adjustable, you have to sort of adjust it on the outside. It's like adjusting, you know, it doesn't have a little dial. You have to kind of like thread the things through and all that. But it's got around the sides and over the top that that one, the reason that's in there, my understanding is, mm-hmm. is because that's the one you want to use if you're using it for an extended period of time. Right. I think that they realize that the other one's just not going to cut it. Because there's a heavy thing that's on your face, and that weight has to go somewhere. And the answer is your head. So you want to spread it out as much as possible. And I and think I think the, nobody, nobody on the outside has tried it for more than half an hour, right? So the, yes. that's that's a big open question about it. Did you get to do the Disney Plus um, experience? Yeah. Yeah. Did the Disney Plus, which was uh, very cool. And um, just for people who haven't tried it yet, I'm sure that Apple stores will be flocked with people (laughs) going to try it uh, when this when this comes out. But um, it's a very cool. So let's say you wanted to watch uh, The Mandalorian or something, and you could actually, when you go into the Disney Plus app, because Disney worked really closely with Apple on this, from my understanding. Yep. Um, Jason, correct me if I'm wrong. No, but you're right. You can. Um, it, it's really beautifully designed, and so you can actually pick like Tatooine. And so what happens is it it, it loads up, and you're in a speed racer, and you kind of look around, and it's totally encapsulating, and you feel like you're on the planet. You're watching the movie. The movie itself, because it was not obviously filmed, or, or the show was not filmed with spatial uh, cameras right it's not like it's not like that itself is immersive the way i described it was it kind of feels like you're at a drive-in on space in space in space right? you're kind of like That's sitting right. in your car and there's a screen um but what is really cool and again it's just one of those things that i wouldn't have thought about unless unless i had seen it or you know i had read kind of what jason had been writing about it there's a very cool like when you go to turn on the movie um, it fades to black, but as opposed to you just being in a black room with the screen, it's like you're still on tattooing. You've got the, but now it's dual moons and there's the stars. So they do a really good job of making it feel immersive. And like the comfort thing um, when you're wearing it on your head, to Jason's point, there's the second strap. And also, like, no other company has really figured this out either. Like, no, it, it's, it's, it's an ongoing issue. It is. And I think for me, and this is a question I'll give you, Jason. For me personally, because I'm not, I would say I'm not an early tech adopter. Like I, I tend to come in kind of when it's when it's maybe mid cycle. Um, Kevin, my partner, huge early tech adopter, and so he asked me, he's like, you know, is it would you pay thirty five hundred? And I think for me, I wouldn't. To me, it still feels like a very cool, expensive toy. But I'm mm-hmm. curious if you are like, oh, I this is with your experience, like this is something I would do day one. Well, I I think. I think that's the question. I my uh, having not had it since then, and I will mm-hmm. review it when I get my hands on it. My mm-hmm. my initial impact statement is, hey, when I was a kid, we bought a computer, mm-hmm. and it was it was the late seventies or early eighties, mm-hmm. and in today's dollars, that computer cost about thirty eight hundred dollars, and in those days. That's just what it was a thousand dollars, but that's thirty eight hundred, thirty seven hundred in today's dollars. Um, and in those early days of personal computers, everyone was like, "Well, this is a cool gadget, and it's the future, and I want to expose my kids to this." And we, but we were also like, "What do you do with it?" And nobody had an answer because there wasn't. It was like, "What do you? How do you apply this technology?" And it was like, "You could do your recipes in it." People have been trying to put recipes in computers for my entire life. And I mean, I do, I made something off of a recipe up on my iPad the other day. So maybe we finally cracked that one 40 years later. But uh, this reminds me of that is what I'm saying is this is a new thing that people are going to buy because they want to try a new thing. But if you're using that kind of like 
news you can use, practical part of your brain? No, of course not. This is a 1.0 product in a brand new category that costs 3500 bucks. It's not time yet. It, I think what's right. interesting about it is it, we're going to find out if this is a product that in five years people exactly. are going to want to buy. And I think that there is a, a chance that there will be uh, an interest in this in the long term as a travel and travel entertainment and working and also just a solo entertainment device because like the, that's why Disney is there, right? Like Disney, in addition to those immersive environments, they have a whole stock of 3D content that they put in movie theaters that doesn't yeah. really have an afterlife in home video. And yeah. these kinds of devices will give it a little bit of an afterlife. I also want to clarify for people who, are, who don't know much about this product, there are sort of two kinds of immersive they're just kind of video mm. formats for people who are kind of like going to be receiving them and one of them is immersive video which is shot right. on special cameras and it's 180 degrees and it makes you feel like you're in the space Mo- and it's like 8k right jason's like 8k apple shooting 10, it with 8k cameras yeah in a special rig yes most of your content consumption on this thing is going to be like a 3D movie. It's going to be right. in a roughly 16 by 9 thing floating in space, whether it's in your room or in one of these virtual environments. But it'll be like, uh, you can, you can so you can sit in an immersive Avengers mansion or Avengers tower, but when you watch the Avengers in 3D, it will just be a movie screen with depth. And that's like, and it'll literally be the 3D movie version of the Avengers that was on movie screens. And that's not the same. It's not immersive then. It's just a 3D movie. I will say though, it is the best 3D content I've ever seen yes, because 3D same. content in movie theaters stinks because you got to put on those glasses and I wear glasses. So it's two layers of glasses and all of that. And if it's not aligned right, it hurts your head and it's and it's dim because it has to cut the light in half in order to project to the left eye and the right eye. And this is all gone with this. So the potential is there for a pretty great immersive um, movie watching experience, especially if you put in... Uh, it's got little speakers on the strap, but you can also put in headphones. Um, well, so th- there's a lot of potential to it, but it, it like no practical person should buy this, right? Because no. it's just that's not what it is. It's the start of a much. Long, it's like how no practical person should have bought, uh, you know, one of the first personal computers in 1978. Because that's I'm, not why you buy that thing. I, I'm sure, like your parents and your family, I am positive I will end up with one on day one because of Kevin. I, like, I, can, I already know this is going to happen. Sure. And so it'll be fun to kind of explore. Um, one, reiterate something Jason said and then add to that was something I learned today, which is – so to Jason's point, like – and this is just the most Apple thing, right? Like Apple is late to the party and then redefines for an entire industry. And so yep. like the the the, the 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 crispness of it, like the accuracy, like the, the, the way certain – they have this really – I'm sure, Jason, you saw this like dinosaur thing that they do and the dinosaurs are like responding to you. Yeah, Encounter and it, dinosaurs, which is an app called, I guess they built, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's great, right? And so – okay, and of course the thing Jason and I haven't said but uh, uh, I hope is is pretty obvious is this is everything Apple has pre-selected, pre-uploaded, right? Like it's, it's very oh, yeah. much Apple like being like, hey, yeah. here's what it's we're proud of. Demo. Yeah. But what they show at the end of the demo, um, they kind of give a, a look at like what they hope this the the Vision Pro might become from like a, a, a video perspective. So there's a lot of spatial cameras being mm-hmm. used to create spatial images, and um, one of the big things that they put in there is live sports. Yeah, and live sports from certain angles, right? So you're in the dugout for a baseball game, or you're they have like a goal camera, and they use like Messi, like scoring. Like you're goal. sitting on top of the goal at an MLS right. game. Yeah, and so I I learned today. So currently, no like 
live sports, it's my understanding, kind of with the, the that launch with the Vision right. Pro. Um, I'm sure that because we saw Bob Iger show some of this off at WWDC last year, I'm sure there will be some form of ESPN capability with this oh, with yeah. Apple in the future. Yeah. But, um, you know, something that's really interesting about the sports side of the equation is that for me, that could be a game changer, but it comes back to that strap where I'm like, you're yep. watching, let's say you're watching a baseball game or an NFL game. You're looking at what, two and a half hours of yeah. like sitting there. Um, you're hoping it doesn't lag, but I was told today that uh, they don't really expect lagging to be an issue because the chips are so powerful and, and the mm-hmm. way that their media consoles work, but they you know, like sports, they think could be like a really big component of the Vision Pro. And I do think, you know, when we when we on this podcast, when Jason and I think about streaming and how people really look at um, innovation technologies to, to or innovative technologies to really uh, progress that idea of what streaming media can be, I think the sports realm even more so than the TV realm is really important. But but what I said to to some of the the people they had available, I was like, the, the, when we think about the technology though here, right? And I think the example Jason I like to use is IMAX, right? So like there's like there's these amazing IMAX cameras, but not every studio has one because they're expensive. And so IMAX tends to like work with companies and be like, hey, we'll give you these. And I learned today that Apple um, is giving out to some content creators these these um, cameras that Jason was talking about that they built. Yeah. So these kind of spatial cameras that are that will create those really immersive experiences that they that they want. So. I'm curious to see which companies. I imagine Disney will because they are already pretty like tech uh, tech um, advanced when it comes to yep. filmmaking, and they've got really strong relationships with Apple. Uh, I imagine they like I, you can think of someone like a John Favreau type really taking advantage of this. Um, but I'm curious to see what will come of that with the crit with the content partners they're working with on that they wouldn't you know I, I they wouldn't tell me which they're ones they were right and but and the last thing i'll say and then jason this i'll give this over to you because I, I i'm curious in your thoughts a couple of days ago i think it was two days ago um correct me if i'm wrong here they they sent out like their list of media partners for kind of the launch of it mm-hmm. and all your streamers are there except netflix, except for netflix. which famously has fought with apple mm-hmm. over and over and over again and jason i'm curious do you think not having Netflix on the Vision Pro hurts those early adopters who are signing up for entertainment within Vision Pro? Or do you think the early adopters don't really care because they might still have Netflix, but this is just not that – they don't need Netflix on this product? Yeah, I think the most important ones are ones that actually have a content. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't blame Netflix for not being here. I mean it would be nice, mm-hmm. but I think that they – if they're going to do it, they should also do it with 3D content. And I don't know if they right. even have the license for any like 3D versions of movies on their platform. I don't right. actually know that. But uh, yeah, Netflix and YouTube, I think, are not there. And you can get them in the browser, but it means you can't download things in advance and watch them on an airplane. I, I think at this point, it's such an early product and there are so many other uh, providers who are going to be there, like Disney, that it's all about exploring new things. And if it was just going to be a me too kind of blank Netflix experience, uh, YouTube's a little different because they do have some 3d content. Mm-hmm. They do have some, mm-hmm. some, uh, spatial content. And, um, and I think you can do it in the web browser, but it's not the same as if right. they actually had the app yet. So, you know, it's for all of this, it is, it is a, it is 1.0 hardware. It is in early days. Yes. Yes. Uh, but yeah, that Apple Disney partnership, when you think about all the Disney programming yeah. and when you think about all of the ESPN 
in programming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I exactly. think Apple knows that sports, I think one of the reasons Apple is so interested in sports rights, as we've talked about here, is because they think that there is a potential killer app for this product for yeah. a hardcore sports fan. And as we said, nobody really knows, except inside Apple maybe, whether you can stand to wear it for three hours. But I will tell you, and you saw this too, uh, that immersive video, like the the Fenway Park thing, where the ball is going down foul and the guy does, it hits off the guy's oh, glove and so the ball's good. rolling towards you. Like I wanted to reach out and touch the ball. Like it is it's an so unbelievably good, good experience, yeah. and the soccer is the same way. Yeah. Like if they can do that live or close to live, right? Even if you're like two minutes behind, but if they could stream a version of that from a live sporting event. It would be incredible. And honestly, even before that, if they did an NFL films kind of thing where there were Mm -hmm. highlights from the perspective of the spatial cameras, that would be like worth watching to experience those moments. So uh, but live would be the the clincher. Right. I'm sure they're working on that one so that like there'll be a live something that you can watch this way. I don't know. The the two leagues, I think, make a lot of sense for this. Um, uh, And then. Um, I just think in terms of overlap with audience and then also potential connection to Disney and then therefore Apple and also, um, connection to just Apple directly, obviously one MLS, Apple has the exclusive rights. That would be an easy no brainer. Um, they can put their cool cameras on top of goalposts. Like that's fine. Um, the other one I think would be like the NBA. I think like the NBA has a young kind of tech forward audience and I think they've got a really strong partnership with ESPN. Um, but all of that is to say sports, a big deal for Apple, who's who's calling this their new platform. We're going to see if the app in, uh, Apple Vision Pro is, to use Jason's beautiful analogy, because I love it if, if it, if this is its 1978 personal computer moment, does it need to have its internet moment before people really kind of, mm, everyone's all in on it? And then, of course, lower price. But I think this is a perfect segue, Jason, as we talk about sports. It is. To our sports corner. Into episode. sports corner. Sports corner. Oh, yeah. The perfect segue. Turns out even our first non-sports corner <laughs> segment was about sports. Um, yes, let's move on to, I've got three different sports topics, four different sports topics for us to break down. A couple short ones and then some longer ones. Um, listener Jason sent this in, not me, listener Jason, uh, but uh, absolutely right to send it in. A story about how... The MSG network um, and the Yes network, so two sports networks in New York City, in your region, are setting up a company called Game, Gotham Advanced Media and Entertainment, where they're going to work together on the business of streaming. And I find this fascinating. It feels very much like execs at MSG and Yes we're talking over lunch maybe, and we're like, oh man, it's going to cost so much money to set up our streaming platforms. And they said, wait a second. I also need to spend a lot of money setting up a streaming platform. What if we mm-hmm. went into business together? And the way they're so they apparently they they have done that and so they co-own this game subsidiary. I think they've got MLB Advanced Media sparkling mm-hmm. in their eyes. Like maybe we can turn this into something. But what they seem to be strategically doing is saying, look, a lot of other regional sports networks are desperately going to need a streaming platform. What if we take ours and make it a product that other streaming platform or other people can use as their streaming platform targeting the rsns i don't know if it's going to turn out or not but it's an interesting idea and i think just from a a like why reinvent the wheel 10 different rsns are not going to build 10 different streaming services right it's not going to happen 
And New York is such an interesting market to do this in because if there was any market, maybe outside of LA, maybe the Bay Area a little bit, um, maybe maybe like in Atlanta. Um, but New York is one of the few root territories where you could have these two services and people would like there's enough of a population who's willing to pay even like me and Kevin would pay to watch the Islanders lose every few days. Like that's we know where we are masochists. And so like we would have yes for the Yankees, a different service for, for the Islanders, a different service for the Knicks, which is MSG. And so now combining these two, I think really speaks to what Jason's saying, which is this question of the business and the cost of streaming. I think that's what everyone's really realized is to be a distributor, right? To, to, to actually not have the, and Jason and I have talked about this on the show, to not have the partnership of a Comcast or an AT&T who's like, yeah, we'll take care of the cables. Like you, you don't have to be in people's homes. We are going to make sure that this gets delivered. And now instead you're thinking about lagging frame rates and you're thinking about things that you're like, I, I don't even know if I want to think about this and I'm hiring very expensive talent because they're coming from the tech engineering world to really figure this out for me. If you can just combine and then to Jason's point, like create a service that is going to effectively become B2B and uh, create additional revenue just by licensing, it makes a ton of sense. The question I have, even more so than does this work for RSNs in smaller markets, is whether or not the leagues want it. Like whether, And, and I know this is like a – we're going to get into this a little bit, but the MLB and NBA and to an extent NHL, uh, to a much lesser extent – have almost shown an interest in regaining right those digital rights back they so have. they can kind of bundle it themselves and mm-hmm. they can just they can kind of just get, create a national product um and so that's where you get a lot of this tension with everyone from the different team owners to the players associations to because all of it comes down to, to how you're breaking down that revenue uh but i think this is a very interesting opposition tactic uh yeah. that and, and and new york is a market where you have those very powerful leagues who might not necessarily want to get into arguments well, because ba- it's a, it's a huge market. Baseball, basketball, and hockey are very powerful regional sports. They don't have yes. the the national reach that the NFL has for lots of reasons, but that's just the way the NFL has done it. They're the they're the king, but they also strategically, logistically, there's lots of reasons there. But yeah, so you you got it exactly right, which is the leagues are sort of like, well, maybe we could build a product out of this. The funny thing though is that they already have a product. That is the out-of-market product. So it's really about an in-market product, which means it's really about a regional product. And so the question is, do the leagues glean more value in building maybe a one-size-fits-all regional product that they then sell in all the different regions? And so it's Padres' view over here and Diamondbacks' view over here, but it's really just the MLB regional product. Or what if they are in a situation where in some markets, they need to do that. But in other markets, there are motivated regional players who right. will be able to generate more value for the leagues than having the leagues do it. And this is right. this is a, a, will it just be like you said, the biggest markets, but like in a market where there are motivated players like MSG and yes, perhaps and perhaps not, but perhaps they will say to MLB, the you know, MLB and, and the NBA and the NHL. Um, we want to make a deal for all these rights and stream, and we will build the regional package for New York sports. And we're the experts at this. And you guys, you know, use us as your partner here and we'll, we'll see. I mean, I don't know. 
there, when we talk sports corner, the challenge mm. is that we aren't privy because most of these things are entirely privately held. Yes. It is very hard to get a sense of what the very complicated probably, and also nobody's sure, money calculation is here. Because I, I yeah. honestly, somebody at MLB might be able to tell me, oh, um, they're never going to make it worth our while. Or, on the other hand, they will certainly make it worth our while. And I just don't know the answer. Remember, that that disparity between the actual value and the like meta value of, a, of, of rights is, has what's driven so much sports revenue over the last few years, that cable companies were willing to spend more than it was worth in order to do uh, retention. And, and now I, I that's also... falling apart. So is there another meta value for something like MSG? And yes, and is it enough to make MLB say, sure, we're going to make more money with a middleman, which is a tough sell, but it's not impossible. Yeah, I I, I agree. And I also think there's something really interesting happening with the concept of regional sports in general. And I kind of call this an after effect of the internet, um, which is, does regionality matter to new sports fans? So new, I mean, kind of like Gen Alpha, Gen Z. Do they right. care? And and so I'll give you a great example. Um, vast majority of people in my life in New York are, grew up in New York. Like they're New Yorkers, um, which is rare, but they're they're all New Yorkers. Only two of them are fans of New York teams. The rest of them are all like, I'm a Lakers fan. Like, like they just don't care because they right. grew up in a moment where they could be a different fan. What's interesting about this, uh, I've been, uh, something I've been, um, or a statistic I've been paying a lot of attention to over the last few years, um, annual and then quarterly, is attendance rate at, at games. And I think what's really interesting about like baseball is that baseball is seeing uh, – saw an increase actually in the attendance in its last season. And a lot of people were trying to prescribe different reasons for it, right? Like, oh, the games are shorter, so people are going. Um, I think it's actually changed slightly. And this is where, you know, I, when I think about regional sports and therefore who kind of holds the power and how do you how do you look at the division of power, I think we're in a, in a, in a moment where th- – to go and give attention to something, right? So to go and like watch a baseball game um, and therefore it, you think about what you're doing with that. You're giving time, you're giving energy and you're giving, there's a cost factor, right? Like, and then and there's a cost of opportunity factor. Like there's that you could be doing something else and you're not. And so you go to the baseball game. One, baseball games are really fun. We all love them. But two, it's like, I'm going to post on Instagram, right? Like I'm going to post this on my TikTok. It's a whole thing of now I'm going to get attention from the attention I'm giving. I have a whole theory about this. And so there's, the the reason I bring it up is because I think there's a division in the value of the of the actual in person experience of regional games who then become regional fans versus the amount of people who want to watch their favorite team in their region via like an RSN. I think you get a lot of people who go to baseball games, even basketball games, who are casual fans and they're fans of the team that they're seeing. They might be fans of the team that's visiting, but they're not necessarily going to be incentivized to pay $20 a month for an RSN service for a game, a team they might watch maybe once a week or, or, or once every couple of weeks. So the question then becomes like, okay, well, if there's an increased value in bringing people out to see their local team, but you can't necessarily convert that audience into being loyal subscribers, who actually should command the the media rights? Like, who does that actually benefit? I know we're going to talk about um, Diamond in a little bit, so I don't, I'm not going to get too much into it now. But I think, like, that is, like, inherently the Amazon question a little bit. Like, why does that benefit Amazon? And we'll get into that soon. Uh, but I think that it's that kind of question being played out. So you can kind of see where the MLB and the NBA and the NHL would be coming from, right? Where they're like, 
are we really like, is there an audience for this that we can just say, well, we'll just own the end rights. It's fine. Like the RSNs go away and we'll figure it out with the, with the players and we're going to figure out other ways to monetize by leaning into other partnerships. Um, or is it actually, we're never going to make up that revenue. This is become a whole issue with the players associations that we don't want to fight with. And so we're going to let the RSNs to some capacity if they can continue, or if they find partners like an Amazon uh, diamond sports situation to come in and really help them out, we're going to let them kind of continue operating. And I think that power struggle of uncertainty and like that conversion rate where you have two very different statistical points happening where you're like, attendance is up but viewership is down and you're like that doesn't make sense like like how is this happening i think that navigating that uncertainty is really um i, I imagine i imagine quite a struggle yeah it's very hard hard to tell i mean the good thing about people who are not home team fans is that they already have a product because they're just yes. dis- they're dispersed enough and the, they were not carved out as part of the rights it's those extra regional rights but i think you're right to mention the the question about the regional versus national dichotomy altogether because mm-hmm. you know I, I i still think it comes back to the value uh, the additional value is somebody willing to pay me more for this thing because they're local and should i then break up my product into these local streaming rights which obviously have frustrated people local blackouts for ages but the reason it happens is because people are willing to pay the random person in California is more willing to buy the to see the Giants or the Dodgers than a random person in Maine right like there will be people in Maine but mostly it's just going to be sort of a general fan of baseball and that'll be part of their menu of options it's it's hard it's a there's no we keep saying this when we talk about big business decisions here it's like look there's a reason that these executives pay get paid a lot of money and think about this stuff for their entire job because it's hard and it's dangerous and there's a lot of value involved in these calculations. But this is one that is going to have to be dealt with. And I know that different entities, media entities and sports league entities are pondering the difference because, I mean, the truth is the NFL did this so long ago, 50 years ago, that it doesn't matter. But like if you're the owner of a team in a middle market, that is looking at your regional sports revenue from TV and streaming, you're going to have a very different perspective than if you're the commissioner of the league, right? The commissioner of the league might be like, aha, this will be better for the league as a whole. But somebody in St. Louis or San Diego or wherever is going to say, no, this will kill my business. Exactly. And how do you, the NFL did it by socialism. I mean, this is the thing that we all laugh about, (laughs) but it's like these billionaires, uh, how does the NFL built? the billionaire owners of the NFL teams, it's socialism. There's one TV contract and everybody shares it equally. It doesn't matter if you're in a New York team or if you're the Indianapolis team, everybody gets the same slice of the pie, one thirty second of the pie. So, uh, but that was a long time ago and I'm not sure the, you know, that the NHL or MLB can go to its owners and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build one product and then everybody's going to get a fraction of it because yeah. the Yankees yeah. aren't going to want to do that. No. I mean, the the Dodgers have spent how much in the offseason? Exactly. Uh, it, well, like yeah. a loan? Yeah, exactly. It's not. And, and partially because they've got a, a media contract that pays them and like billions a of dollars of a year so yeah. they can afford to do it. So anyway, this is thank you to listener Jason for sending this in. This is an interesting uh, little corner of Sports Corner and we'll keep an eye on it. But I also want to pivot. Boy, these are all flowing together to another topic in this 
little corner of Sports Corner, which is uh, a report that the NFL is in advanced talks with ESPN to acquire an equity stake in the network. Now, we talked about this before that Bob Iger was saying we would like some people to help us share the burden and give us money for ESPN as we make this transition from the cable bundle to a different streaming direct-to-consumer product. And it sounds like one of, and I would imagine there will be more, but one of their partners may be the NFL, who is, and I didn't realize this, but apparently has been reportedly for a while now looking for a partner for NFL media, its arm that produces the NFL network and the NFL red zone among others. Um, And if they were to put money in to ESPN and take some equity in ESPN, apparently part of the deal would be that they would also put in NFL media, which means, which, which from a logistical standpoint, the idea that the great ESPN machine, which also produces countless, I forget how many now, college um, conference channels that are not branded ESPN, but they're ESPN, the NFL Mm -hmm. network would essentially become that. It would become yet another, they're built to run. I mean, we, we already know there are lots of ESPN channels, plus there's the big 10 network or whatever. And, you know, it keeps going from there, the ACC network. So you add the NFL network on and you add red zone on. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on there, but it also means that ESPN has got not, a uh, technology partner like Apple, it's got a league as a partner and a part owner, which is a fascinating development. I understand totally why both parties would be interested in doing this. Um, there's been a lot of uh, talk in the last few days about, I think the phrase was the death of journalism at ESPN. And I think that having, look, the NFL network does not report on things the NFL doesn't want them to report on. MLB Network absolutely does not have people on its air who are going to question some fundamentals of the sport because the owners own the network. Um, I would argue that ESPN, while independent, is only it's a rights holder for all the major sports. It is it, journalism has been dying, I will say, at ESPN for a long time. It's not like there isn't good journalism at ESPN, but it has been sliding down that slope for a long time. And I would also say what we think of as ESPN includes things like SportsCenter. But yeah. I mean, Julia, I think you'd probably agree with me. The future of ESPN is going to be live events and everything yes. else is going to be worth essentially zero because it's going to be a streaming package for live events and all of that shoulder programming that used to get uh, ratings and doesn't anymore. And that's why they lay people off and they've been cu- cutting and slashing at ESPN for years. Like all that stuff is, I think, worth considering as being essentially zero. They are a sports rights bundle. And yep. so they're already in the park at pocket of their league partners. I don't think this is going to make, in the long run, make any difference. I also think ESPN, and and, and I was been, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, this is probably like my favorite topic to think about. I think what we're going to see play out over the next, what would you say, Jason, in terms of seeing how a lot of these consolidation and shutdown moves happen? Five years? Five years three is to, good. Three to yeah. six years? Yeah. Some of the rights are really long is the only reason that it might take longer. Some of these contracts are not up for a while. But yeah, let's right. say five years. So let's say five years. Um, within those five years, I think a few things start to happen, right? So you've got some kind of merger. Let's say hypothetically, it's let's just refer to make this easier. Let's say it's like a, a Warner Brothers Discovery and, and like an NBC Uni. They merge, so Peacock goes away, right? Those subs are like folded into Max. And so now you've got that service. Um, 
I think as we start to see some of those shutdowns happen and the consolidation happen, what you'll also see is a lot of these players say, I don't want to be a distributor anymore. Like I don't, or I'm, I want to be a very specific distributor. Um, I don't necessarily want to be in DTC at the way that I am willing to pay to be in DTC. Um, I just don't think there's enough differentiated content. I think sports gets complicated. And so where I think sports becomes the differentiator for the ones who do want to be distributors uh, is – not just, okay, well, what rights do you have? So you've got Monday Night Football, let's say you're ESPN. Um, you've got Monday Night Football, you might like you're gonna have some other games, you've got the NBA, you've got you've got some NHL stuff, whatever you're doing. The big one, and I've talked about this with Amazon, is how do you then direct people in an easy, seamless, flawless way to where the other game is happening? Whether you right. take a sign-up fee, that's the ideal, right? Like that's the Amazon channels bet is like, okay, well, we'll you can just sign up for Max through us and then we'll take 15% of that sign up for the first year. Um, that's one. But even if you just become the easy-to-use service that people open it up and they know they can find where things are and they come to ESPN, and you think about how valuable that landing page is then, and I'm, this is going to sound silly to people who listen to this and know exactly where I'm going with this, display ads, like like in that moment of, of how many people are opening up that app. I think ESPN does not just want to be a distributor of sports. I think ESPN wants to be a collector of sports that doesn't necessarily belong to them. I think they want to own fit like 60 70 percent of sports i think they want to be able to say like we're going to bring you in and, and we're going to own the, like your viewership for the, this period and we're going to we're going to service you and your needs whether those needs are um just watching the game whether it's betting on the game whether it is fantasy for that like whatever it is yeah. like we want to be um you know I, I i was talking to a former espn executive a few weeks ago just catching up and i said the ESPN fantasy app is my most used app like between September and, and January. Like it is like the app that I open every single day. And we were talking about how, you know, vital that app has become for the ESPN and Disney universe. And so like if you're Disney, being able to be the home of sports again, whether you are giving people what they want or directing people and, and ideally taking a, a form of payment for that or sure. even just, you know, kind of sending them away to the point where you're like, hey, we get that you're trying to find this game. We don't have it. But you know what? If you click this, it's going to and you have HBO Max, it's going to bring you right to that app. Like we're happy to work with. And also if you're Max or if you're Amazon, you kind of want to work with ESPN on this because yeah. you're like, oh, they're just sending it to us. Like, yeah. that's great. I think ESPN has the tech prowess. I think they have the relationships. I think they have the interest in being a distributor in the way that a lot of other of their competitors, with the exception of Amazon, do not want. Right. Like I think, and and Comcast is interesting because like Zumo could be that, but you think you'd have to get people to use Zumo. ESPN incorporated into the Disney bundle or ESPN OTT is naturally going to have a pretty strong initial sign up because you've got sports fans who are now going OTT, and so I think. That to me, when like I talk about like the NFL is one of ESPN strategic investors, you know, whether it may, like let's just use other leagues, the NBA maybe, or I don't know, you're like the Premier League, like whatever that it might be. Obviously, now there's an incentive to then give ESPN action, uh, excuse me, access to certain games or help them create this form of a distribution network. And I think that then really increases that habitual use of ESPN. And that's going to help with documentaries you want to be doing, all the supplementary content. It might help if you've got Pat McAfee and you just can't bring the audience over to Pat McAfee because they're watching him on YouTube. But like you kind of want to find ways to bring them in. 
knowing that, okay, this is, I'm going to open this app to find where I need to go next gives Disney a huge advantage or Amazon. One of them will figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Gives that company a huge advantage over everyone else because you've got them using and opening your app every single day. So they're thinking about it. Um, So yeah, I, I think every time I see the leagues potentially looking at ESPN as a strategic investor of all the reports that we've seen, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense to me. In part, because yeah. if I was Disney, it would not just be about like, I need additional investment. And also like, I want to work with the leagues that we have partnerships with, but also like, hey, we need to build this thing and we need to therefore have as many rights as we can or as many inroads as we can to explain our potential plan. And in order for that to happen, having the leagues be on board with us on business is a massive, massive uh, uh, removal of a roadblock. And ESPN is America's, at least, premier sports brand. I mean, beyond the leagues themselves. And, like, nobody is close. I mean, people like CBS Sports, Fox Sports, whatever. But no, NBC Sports, it's ESPN by a long shot. So if you're going to build a product like this, this is the brand to use. And I think that... Uh, Bob Iger knows that, and I think the NFL knows that, and they will have other partners. Uh, there, there's no doubt, but like this is a place for you to do that. And I know that when we talk about this, sometimes there's a question, and we'll talk about this in a little bit uh, about the uh, the the Peacock playoff game. But there's people mm. who say, um, "How can you grow your sports if it's all paywalled?" And I think my I, I think that there will be smart people trying to solve that problem but i think when you look at it you can already see from the tiering that happens in things like premier league games on the usa network versus on peacock uh, when you see what apple does with mls where there's a certain amount of mls games that are actually free and then i think they also even have a network partner for for in the cable bundle for some of those games but then the rest of the games are all behind the paywall that you will probably end up in a scenario where uh, there will always be, for lack of a better phrase, teaser content. There will be you'll get some of it for free, and and probably if they're smart, those will be games that have lots of eyeballs on them because it helps them sell more ads, and that'll be good too. But I think there will be a balance that will be found there um, eventually. But uh, anyway, this is I think it's fascinating. I don't think it's over. I think that ESPN is not looking for one strategic strategic investor i think it's maybe looking for all of the strategic yeah. investors and Agreed. um yeah um, imagine because you could be if you're a smart league executive you could argue that the right thing to do is to use espn as a partner uh because they are the media disney's a good media partner yeah and that being in business with disney is a good idea and like say well the nfl can't just be the ones we should be in there too and and Bob Iger's got the like those uh, little things that the guys on the runways have to flag in the planes. <laughs> He's like, "Come on in, leagues! Come on into ESPN. That's what we want." It's not a bad. I don't. Idea. I don't disagree with you at all. Um, and and again, ESPN not as we know it, but as a brand that has lots of live sports rights that people and 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 not sport like Sports Center might still exist in some form, uh, maybe like as an on demand or maybe as like a side linear channel or a side streaming channel. But like really, that stuff nobody watches it. The 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 truth is nobody watches any of that stuff. It's just the games, so they'll focus on the games. Okay, uh, more sports. This is just the whip around. It's the fastest sixty minutes in sports this week. Do you know, I realized, Jason, that if we have four sports corner topics and that's four corners, this is like a sports room. It is. In fact, it's it's five. So it's a sports pentagon. 
Sports Pentagon is oh, cool. Oh, man. I, I, I kind of want to make t-shirts that, they, that say Sports Pentagon. <laughs> okay, sport, Sports Corner continues with the Diamond Sports story. So this, I texted you yesterday. I'm like, what is happening? Uh, good time for John Oren to come to Puck News, by the way. Uh, yeah, for real. So Diamond Sports, we've been talking about it. We've been like, they are, this is this is owned by Sinclair. They got the Bally Sports brands. It, but basically, like, Sinclair Broadcasting made this company called Diamond Sports put all of the regional sports rights that they that they got from Disney when it was handed when Disney bought Fox. They had to divest of those. They took them. They put them in this separate organization that was loaded up in debt. And they were going to de- – they declared bankruptcy. And they dropped San Diego Padres and Arizona Diamondbacks. And, and, and they're in bankruptcy court. And the plan was that they were going to cease at the end of 2024. And that the leagues were going to have time to kind of plan to take their rights back from the, the from the defunct entity and build new products, including streaming products. This was all part of the plan. Until, as we record this, yesterday, when in bankruptcy court, Diamond Sports announced that Amazon is going to invest at least $115 million and maybe up to $50 million more to bail out Diamond Sports and keep it in business beyond 2024, which is not only surprising to all of us, but was surprising to the leagues who were, who were at the event at the courthouse and had not a single clue that this was going to happen. And this is huge because apparently... The NHL and NBA had already concluded negotiations about how they were going to wind down their agreements with Diamond Sports. Now, it all has to be approved. And MLB was, like, working on it. But now, if the if the judge says, oh, great, you've got a way to come out of bankruptcy, um, that means that those contracts stay in effect. Now, and, and as we talked about before... Amazon and Apple and some other companies have been sniffing around those regional sports rights for when Diamond goes out of business. It feels to me like Amazon has jumped the line by giving them a lifeline and essentially saying, we're going we're gonna to come into Diamond, keep those contracts alive, and take their regional streaming rights and put them on Prime Video, which yeah. is wild. And so they, they hold the linear rights to 37 teams and hold streaming rights to all of those teams except for six Major League Baseball teams. And they will go on Prime Video. So this is a wild story because it's Amazon trying to get ahead on regional sports streaming. I don't know whether it's going to make Amazon more likely to make a deal with major league baseball for those other teams or whether they're actually kind of burning bridges here by doing this. Nobody seems to really know because this came as a surprise to everybody. And by the way, the clock is ticking Major League Baseball has three teams, Cleveland, Texas, and Minnesota, who don't know where their games are going to be when the season starts in three months. So there's just, it is absolutely bananas. Uh, but what it, what I can say, Julia, is it shows you how much, like we talked about last time, Amazon wants to do more in live sports. I think... Yeah, and I had kind of written an, an, a puck article about why this made a ton of sense for Amazon because the Amazon Play is for local TV ad uh, inventory. Um, local TV ad inventory is going to be very, very, very lucrative this year. It is an election year, 
there's a lot more spending on local ads. Um, It's also a way to, in my opinion, hyper-target and then convert at a higher rate people watching um, to then buying things that are available on Amazon. Um, So you can kind of see how they would be creating a very nice ecosystem of increased ad revenue, working with new merchants to kind of use local ads uh, on television, as well as working with those who have ads on television who are not like, you know, your local Honda or whatever, but have like a product and like, hey, we can figure out something on Amazon. I also have a wild theory about this. And I don't know if it makes any sense. And so I haven't had a chance yet to run this by um, my puck colleague, Eric Gardner, who's brilliant and and reports on kind of um, what happens in different legal situations in different industries. But I also think it feels very smart to bail out the little guy when you're the big guy and you've got the FTC looking at you. Hmm. I think there's kind of like this, we probably could have ended up with some kind of deal because we're Amazon and we would have just paid a lot of money for it. But instead, we're like investing in this this smaller company at this point in time who like is keeping this alive and they employ hundreds of people or, 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 or thousands of people. And there is, I think, if I was their lawyer, I think I could get really creative and kind of be like, we we're not just we're not just taking them all entirely. They're still going to air on television. We don't operate in the TV right. space. We're just taking the streaming stuff. They don't want to run RSNs on cable. They don't, and they don't. No, and 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 again, I think for Amazon, this comes less to like okay. I, I don't know if anyone's been watching sports recently. <laughs> Speaking of sports corner, if you're listening to this, I assume you're watching sports. All right, but there have been all those um, really. I I like them. Um, Kevin hates them. He gets like angry whenever they're on but i like the amazon ads that are like there's like the new dad right uh who's watching the boys and then he's tired because his baby's up so he orders a coffee like pot thing from amazon and and what amazon has done a lot more of in the last i would say year is something they tried very hard to stay to get away from over the in the four or five years prior which was instead of saying like we are prime video we are this like um prestige tv separate service on amazon we're not even related to the prime side now they're kind of like listen you come watch your show here then you buy your coffee and like we're just gonna lean into it because that's what we do really well and i think the marketing be- with that really gets to like what Amazon I think is trying to tell advertisers, right? They just are they they're just about to turn if uh, turn on ads on on Prime Video, so they're about to have the largest ad supported um, streaming tier globally because it's opt out, and I imagine the vast majority of those subscribers will, will not opt out. Um, so you've got a bunch of people who are being targeted by ads. Sports already come with ads; it's an inherent part of yeah, it. We all have built the, for the experience. It. We get it, and I think within local. It represents an ad inventory that is pretty like like the TV side is pretty much outside of the world of all of these guys. The local or I should say hyper or more targeted ads um, that we would kind of consider local ads on the Internet are owned by Meta and Google. And they kind of have that space. So for Amazon, you're not going to try and compete with Meta and Google in that world. Like they're, they, I mean, that's just their world. But where you see really strong opportunity is the reminder that you're an e-commerce platform who does video and does video pretty well and you do e-commerce pretty well. And so being able to tap into a local TV ad inventory and bring that ad revenue and that's not going to go to Google now or Facebook, um, you know, maybe YouTube to an extent, but, but not really. Um, it's actually going to go to Amazon and then to be able to say, okay, let's figure out ways that we can work with all these like these potential local advertisers where it makes sense. Again, your local Toyota not going to be on Amazon, but 
finding ways to say like, oh, you're selling like a, a, a garden hose, right? Like this is a thing and you're airing a local ad and it's like your local product. And so you go, cool, we're going to put that on, like you can sell it on Amazon. Maybe we put a barcode. Remember when they had barcodes and uh, sorry, QR codes, I should say on the Black Friday game. Like you can see all the experiments that Amazon's doing and the regional sports are like the next step of that to like hyper target your potential customers to continue by getting those new advertising deals in an ad market where you are currently not sitting in, but you think could be really lucrative, especially in 2024. I just think all of this makes a ton of sense for Amazon in a way that it doesn't for a lot of other companies. Um, and I do wonder, like, I, like, as you have to imagine if you're the FTC and you're Lena Khan, like there's nothing Amazon does that is not being just watched over. And so I, th- I think there's also a component of like, this isn't us like displacing things. We're actually helping customers like, right. like make sure that they can see it. And we're like ensuring that this American sports company continues to operate. And there is the sense of like, I mean, this is not being done out of goodwill by Amazon, but you could argue, you could make it look like yeah. that. And, and so well, I just think it's yeah, a Amazon strong swooping deal in and saying, um, we bought all the rights, ha ha ha, does not look as good as Amazon coming in and saying, oh no, we're just taking the streaming rights uh, and buying them from Diamond Sports and putting them on. But Diamond Sports is still producing the games and yada, 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 right, Bally, and they're going to change the name after right next year and maybe it'll be Amazon sports or whatever, but they're like, no, 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 it's not. We're just getting some sports rights. It's not the same as Amazon takes over sports streaming entirely, even though that's sort of what they're doing. It's a, no, my only question is about the fallout. I think this is a very interesting move on their part to just get the, the rights they want and take a zombie company essentially and say, well, you, you can keep doing it on RSNs and you can keep producing the games because we don't want to do that. Um, but we're going to get, what we're going to get out of it is all of your sports rights and put them on prime. That's interesting. My only question is again, have, if you want to be in the sports business long-term, what does this say about your relationship with these leagues, especially since it seems to have been a surprise? That's right. the part that I, I wonder about is like, does major league baseball now feel like they got totally caught flat footed by Amazon because you know that's not what you want in a partner. So that's my only question. And maybe yeah. the, maybe there's damage control happening behind the scenes as we speak about this. Wouldn't surprise me. But it is a, I mean, it's juicy. It's get your popcorn ready. This is quite a, uh, quite a twist, a plot twist happening here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, next up, as promised, is Peacock and the NFL. It happened. They did it. We were going to record this last week, and it was going to be a preview, and instead we get to review it. This is all the things, all the people complaining that we knew when this was announced, by the way, many, many months ago, that they were going to, that part of the deal was a, a, a playoff game on Peacock on Super Wildcard Weekend. We could have written those stories then. People were very angry. What do you mean? It's on Peacock. How do I get that on my cable box? All of those stories happened. How dare you make me pay to watch a playoff game if I'm not in Kansas City or Miami? All those stories happened. By the way, a lot of people pay for cable, and there have been playoff games on cable. So it's not new is what I'm saying. It's different, but it's not that new. However, now we do know 23 million people tuned in, which is a streaming event record. Of course, lots of asterisks go with it, but it's more than Amazon has done with their NFL Prime games. It's a playoff game. But and it's more than presumably, you know, the the Premier League on on Peacock has gotten. Uh and it's a bigger rating than the broadcast in the la- in last year's time slot. 
uh, the same time slot. However, last year's game was a dog. It was the clearly worst game of the bunch. And this year they put a game with good teams in this slot. So the NFL is part of the reason why this happened. They gave them a good game uh, and not a bad game. But, you know, it it I it seems to me is this a success? It depends on what you're what you're trying to get out of it. Um, and you wrote a column at Puck that I'll put in the show notes about this. And it feels to me like it comes down to two things. One of them is what you said about how, what's the retention going to be? Like in the end, did people try Peacock and are they going to stay or are they going to be there like with the Olympics for a month or two and then disappear? And I would say number two is how many people who never knew how to do streaming used this as a, a way to get streaming? Because I feel like every single mm. streamer has this additional thing even now. And this was true when Apple was making people get uh, Apple TV, even even when it was free to watch the Yankees game on a Friday night. And when there were uh, Peacock, or when there were Prime uh, Video Thursday night football games this year. Every single one of those is not just, can I get somebody and retain them, and, and or are they going to turn away? But all of them are fighting against the tide of, I don't want to know about streaming. I just get things through cable and every streamer needs to break through that or at least try to break through that because everybody's got a story of somebody who we've been watching streaming all this time, but for this playoff game, they're like, ah, I don't know how to do a peacock. How do you do that? And you're like, where have you been? Um, so anyway, those that's, I just wanted to put that in as another reason, which is every streamer wants to convert people to, to have a device that they know how to use that can get them to a streamer and out of the cable bundle, because once they know how, then their potential audience for other stuff. Anyway, uh, I, based on your puck column, I mean, it does kind of come down to churn, right? Which is like, what's the value for Peacock here is, are they going to go up in numbers <laughs> or well, not? I, I think the bigger player in the situation in terms of where it mattered was the NFL. I think the NFL's question oh, was sure. if we put a wild card game here, how many people will go? And more importantly, how many are we losing? Like how many people are just not going to go? And so 23 million, very impressive, um, not by any means a high for the NFL. And so, no. you know, the, we, we saw this a little bit with the way you see Amazon massage the Thursday night football ratings, right, where Amazon, well, they're, they're still technically down compared to when the games aired on Fox, um, but like they're much higher in the 18 to 49 demo, right? So there's like this idea that, well, they're younger fans, so you're reaching younger fans. And to an extent that matters to some advertisers, right, because at the, the end of the day, all this comes down to advertisers. Um, but to an extent, they still want scale. You think about the fact that 97 of the 100 most watched uh Broadcast, uh, telecast in 2023 uh, were football related. I think like 94 were NFL. The other three were like college football. Um, you know, it's a big deal. Like, the, the, you're reaching a ton of people still. And so I think for the NFL, the fact that 23 million went to Peacock, um, pretty good, right? I think, you know, you could have expected that number to be a little bit higher if it was on Netflix. Right. Even a Disney where there's, you know, triple, quadruple the amount of subscribers uh, in the United States. Uh, but obviously they have the deal with NBC. Like there's a very specific reason it was on Peacock. Um, when it comes to Peacock, I think there's a lot of premature victory laps being done. I think, you know, Kelly Campbell, who's the head of Peacock, she did an interview with the New York Times ahead of the game. And she said, you know, we've really got a lot to prove here. 
And think about it. Like, this is not the first time Peacock has had a big sporting event. Like, it's they've had the Olympics. Like, they've had the World Cup. They've had a ton of really big sports on their platform. And every time we see huge spikes in subscribers, and then we see huge churn cycles. Like, they are really, like, sports is to Peacock what Game of Thrones was to HBO Now. Like, it, it's just, like, it's up and then it's down. And so... The, if you look at certain factors, right, so like the demand for, and this is measured by Pair Analytics where I work, um, the demand for originals and the demand for, for total catalog, so like everything on the platform in general, between, um, I think we we're looking at October, November 2021 and 2023, has, is doubled. So there's, meaning there's just more shows and movies that people are, 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 are um, showing demand for or demonstrating that there is an interest in. So that might keep around more people. Um, they're doing this smartly, right? So like Oppenheimer drops on February 16th, which is the day before the third, the, the, the like period, the first month is up. And so you're kind of like, oh, well, maybe I'll stick around for Oppenheimer. And now you've got a two month window versus a, a one month window. Um, but I think overall, it's really hard to do any form of financial analysis in terms of like looking at the lifetime value of the customers that you're bringing in if you aren't guaranteed to keep even 50% of those customers. So what you're then trying to figure out is, okay, if we're going to rely on events to bring people in and we're going to understand that we don't have the, um, I think Ben Thompson uses the term inventory, I use the term heartbeat, um, to kind of keep people there, um, the, the things that people kind of stick around for then the event that we're bringing in really needs to be head-to-toe sponsored ads. Like It needs to be making us a ton of money because we are realizing that we're not going to turn this into a sustainable business opportunity if we look at kind of a six-month lifetime value of those customers because the churn rate is so high. Um, That's actually a little bit easier to do than the other side, which is create a product people want to use every day and then sign up for um, you know, like I use Peacock pretty avidly. I, I am a big Bravo fan. I've been rewatching 30 Rock recently. Like I, I'm kind of constantly on it. So for me, the game was there and it was great. But just anecdotally and, and obviously never ever use anecdotes as uh, data because that's terrible. But like a lot of friends I know who have signed up for Peacock have already deleted. Like they, it, it hasn't even been the full month and they've canceled. They're like, I'm not really interested in this. Um, some of the things I've heard is these shows I have on Hulu, right? So to an extent, they still have that partnership. Um, some of these shows I, like, I'm just not interested in. Some of these shows are on Netflix, right? So I have Netflix. And I think that's the issue with another column I'd wrote kind of about, like, the co- like the fallacy of co-exclusives and, like, this idea that really, let's say Netflix retains 80% of total value from those deals. Like, what does it actually do for the supplier other than create revenue? And so I think what, when it comes to sports and when it comes to something like a $110 million NFL game, it's it's twofold. Now you want to prove to the the leagues who you're working with that you can bring in those audiences. That way the leagues continue to give you games. And and to and to Jason's point, good games. Like it's not just like ESPN Plus had an exclusive NFL game. And it was like a game in England that is also that wasn't interesting. I think it was like I can't remember who it was. It was like boring. And so you're like, oh, if I'm not going to watch it, the NFL is also not really expecting much from this. But a wild card game between the Dolphins and the Chiefs. The, you know, that's like you, you're talking about a, a Patrick Mahomes and a Tua meetup, like matchup. Like you're talking about Tyreek, right? Like former Chiefs. Like there, there's just a, a lot happening there. So you've got to really deliver on it. And I think when it comes to the NFL side of the equation, the NFL does not care if people leave Peacock because they know they can bring people back. Like it's it, that that that's not a concern for them. What is a concern for the NFL is if we give you 
rights to these games exclusively because right now if you have peacock you can watch nfl games but they're on nbc at the same time they're they're not exclusively to peacock so if you're the nfl and you're nbc and this is not going to happen because nbc still makes the vast majority of its money on nbc not peacock which is still a money loss uh but uh, or money loss service but if you're eventually like hey we want to move these games exclusively to peacock we, that's where we want to bring our audience now if you're the nfl you're got to say okay well is my average for that eight o'clock game gonna go from i don't know let's say 25 million people right which is a little bit high but let's say 25 million um to 10 million that is a 15 million people like audience difference that is going to impact what we can sell our ads for and our sponsorships like like it's just going to be a huge issue and so i think when we talk about streaming being the future of sports there's this component that streaming is the future of entertainment in the sense that people are migrating to streaming, right? Like, like that is happening. Sports is the anomaly where sports viewership on broadcast and on a basic cable is actually up year over year compared to the rest of your on TV, which is down. So you have this really weird situation, this, 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 this oxymoron where the best entertainment is being produced for streaming. It's no longer, it's being stripped from, from broadcasting cable. So those audiences are leaving, but because those sports fans want everything all at once and one place viewership for sports has actually increased uh, on broadcast so that's not going to go anywhere but if we imagine that in the next 15 years 20 years eventually the audience has moved to streaming the leagues are kind of working more with streamers so there's this uh, uh, mainstream adoption happening you're at the you're at the top of your curve it's actually going to come down a little bit being able to maintain a presence and not lose that audience and then make them feel frustrated that they have to sign up for this thing that they're not interested in. Like all of the negative sentiment that comes with it. That's such a concerning topic for the NFL. I imagine it might be for the NBA and for the ML, well, maybe not as much for the MLB because um, they're kind of already there. But it's, and it's just as confusing for Paramount and NBC Universal and WBD. And we're talking about three companies who don't know where they're necessarily going to be in five years. Right. Like they, how do you even talk to the NFL about this? Like you can't, you can't be like, Hey, give us, you know, let's extend the contract. We'll give you guys a billion dollars and we're going to put your games exclusively on Paramount plus. If you're talking to the Paramount, are you like, is Paramount plus a thing in five years? Like, like, like what happens then? Would we just give our rights to NBC and now they get, they have to pay a billion dollars. Like whatever it is, it gets super complicated. So that's why I think, you know, going back to one of our first earlier topics, ESPN and Amazon, Creating these kind of strategic partnerships with with companies like the NFL in the form of ESPN, Amazon kind of being this this huge conglomerate uh, in the tech world, really have a sense of security and a sense that they can deliver upon audience size that these leagues are looking for. But I think this wildcard game was a reminder that actually the audience is not going to convert at the one-to-one that people might have expected. They will go, but that was a wildcard game and it should have been slightly better in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I do think it's early days. I definitely heard stories of people who there are still lots of people out there who don't know how to stream things yeah. at all. And they are yeah. older people. But the fact is, those people tune into these sports. And I mean, I, I've told this story before, I think, but my mom, I set her up with an Apple TV. I gave her written instructions about how to switch over to the Apple TV and watch Prime Video Thursday Night Football. She doesn't do it. It's too much trouble. Yeah. Yeah. She's just comfortable keeping it on the cable box. I'm like, That's okay, exactly maybe she's right. a lost cause, but there are a lot of people like her in you know, a demographic that ranges from the 50s up to the 80s, and those people watch sports, but um so I, I it is I think it's a challenge. I you know, yeah. there's no simple answer here. I think in the long no. run in the long run it's a, it's all going to be a hybrid, right? I feel like 
over the air, which also is a, a linear thing, is still going to be there because it captures big numbers. But for certain things, being able to put it someplace where people can also pay and stream it is absolutely going to be a thing that continues too. There's the, the conversation we had a, a few weeks ago, the idea that ad revenue is important. So you want to maximize yeah. either the, either your, your subscription revenue or your ad revenue or both. And the difference between your viewers, if you make it available for free, and your viewers who you have when it's not free, that average, and this is the, again, we don't see the balance sheets, but that ad revenue difference and that calculation is the difference between should I make somebody pay for this or not? And and if you're trying to grow your streaming service like Peacock, there's extra value inherent in making people pay that money because some percentage of them are not going to go away um, yeah. as long as your ad people are okay with the idea that you're you're potentially in the long run losing, you know, whatever, 15, 20% of your audience who's not going to pay to see it but might watch it otherwise. And, and we that's could the debate thing that... what that number is. And that's the thing Jason and I have talked about too, the advantage of the simulcast with like the CBS and the Paramount Plus audience or the NBC and the Peacock audience is they're two different audiences. And so if you're right. if you're if you are on the ad sales side of those companies, it's a gold mine. Because you're like, hey, you want to sell I'm gonna be really well, I was gonna like make like a dentures joke. But if you wanna sell like, you know, to ads towards a let's say fifty plus mm-hmm. demo, right? You're kind of um you are you are basically like okay we want to be on CBS that's where they are but if you're like hey I want to reach 21 year olds you're like well the 21 year olds if they're watching this not via piracy uh, are probably on Peacock or Paramount like right. they're they're streaming it and so it's like cool we can reach them there but um the 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 joke though they want to tell you Jason because you're talking about your mom and I just want to share a story with you about my mom's streaming experience that I feel like you'll appreciate the most um, and I hope our our listeners do too my dad has uh, my dad's an, a huge Apple guy. So everything in his house, in my parents' house is Apple. So he has an Apple TV box. My mom thinks Apple TV and Apple TV Plus are the same thing. And so she normally does not open Apple TV Plus, but she, she thinks it does. So when she does open up Apple TV Plus, it becomes this huge thing. Because then she's like, I can't find my shows that I was watching. Others. And so I was like, what show is that? And she's like, Grey's Anatomy. I said, Grey's Anatomy is on, on Apple TV Plus. She's like, well, that I've been watching. I said, no, you've been watching on either on, on Disney Plus because she's in Canada or Netflix. It's not one of those. And she was like, we don't have those apps. And and But to what you're talking about with your mom, I was like, I had to explain to my mom how to navigate Apple to then get to the actual app with right. the content she was watching. Like, it was one of those moments where I was like, oh, yeah, like my mom is – and she, my mom is, you know, she's 62. She's not super, super old. And she's, you know, she she like knows how technology works, but she's like, I don't, I, I just go where my show is. And so if I had, if she, if I had to tell her to get Peacock to watch a game, she'd be like, I don't, I, is that on Apple TV Plus? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And, and, and it's yeah. not, I mean, I think people who are older are more likely to be this. They're all obviously savvy older people of course. as well, but there are, and there are tech, tech unsavvy younger people too, me. especially me. Me. when it comes to. On like watching it on a TV, right? Like that it is, it, you know, people who might be able to bring it up on their phone might still have a struggle trying to bring it up on their TV where they and their friends want to watch it. Like, do I have the right box for that? Is it plugged in? Am I logged in? Where is it? Is Do I need to get an app for this? Like there's lots, it's complicated, right? It's not, TV and cable TV, cable TV spent 40 years perfecting this. 
And streaming, it's complicated, right? We've we've talked about the software platforms and how important they are and how messy they are. And, you know, there are platforms with apps and how that means it's not a seamless experience. And the cable box, say what you will about it, but like you can just go up and down and find everything. And that's it. And these streamer boxes are complicated and it's hard and not everybody is comfortable with it. So that is, and that's why I also said, that's why part of the reason you put it on Peacock is just to get people to get to Peacock. Yeah. But like, because, because you can't get them to pay for your streaming service if they don't know how to get to a streaming service. So that's, it's like one of the reasons you do it. But I, I do think long-term, as long as we have broadcast and linear, that that is a pretty good way to handle it, which is this is on broadcast if you're somebody who has traditional TV or you can pay to see it on our streaming service and you choose. Um, and I think that's a that's probably a more common thing than than something that's only on streaming. But right now, I, I do think part of it is just trying to drag them kicking and streaming, kicking and streaming. I said it there. There it is. Kicking and screaming <laughs> into the streaming world. Or as I like to say, kicking and streaming. Oh, my God. Oh, before we go, I have one letter and it's really just a link. Listener Ian wrote in with this link that Ian says perfectly encapsulates the experience of looking for specific content on streaming services. I sent this to you. It is Donkey's Guide to Streaming Services. It is a very funny YouTube video. I'll put it in the show notes. You can find oh, those in your so podcast player of choice. It's just hilarious about where, how do I find this? Where do I stream this? And it just gets more and more absurd as it goes. And it's hilarious. So I've been quoting it since you sent it to me. It's fantastic. It's so good. How do I find Godzilla versus Kong? Well, it's not that, uh, it's not that one. And, oh, so good. The Pokemon bit is so great. Incredible. Season one, two, two is on Netflix, but season three is on the Pokemon streaming service. But then season four through through eight is on on Prime. Oh, so good. So Donkey's Guide to Streaming Services, just Google it, search on YouTube or go in your podcast player and and we'll have a link in there for it. Um, That's our only letter this time, but we will have many more letters when we're back in three weeks. Downstreamfeedback.com is where you go. Love to your mothers. We love hearing from you. Thank you to everybody who's written in since our last episode. I've got a bunch of letters queued up and we'll get to them next time but this has been sports corner and uh if you haven't yet please consider subscribing to downstream plus this was a full-sized episode for everybody but the only way to hear the complete version of our next episode will be to be a downstream plus subscriber go to downstream.plus to subscribe and support the show we appreciate all of you who do support downstream you can find Director of Strategy, Julia, at ParrotAnalytics.com and Puck.News. You can find me at SixColors.com. And I appear on many other podcasts at RelayFM and TheIncomparable.com. And that is our show for three weeks. We'll be back in three weeks. But until next time, Julia, say goodbye. Jason, I'm going to make you a Sports Pentagon t-shirt. Sports Pentagon! Do it. Bye, everyone. <laughs>